Welcome to Grounded. We are so excited to study 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10 together with you. We're looking at Jacob and his great discourse to those people that he loves and cares for dearly. We're also going to talk about how to understand the doctrines and principles in the Book of Mormon, as well as look specifically at some of these doctrines and principles, including the doctrine of the plan of salvation, the doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and the doctrine of the Godhead. And then we are going to dive into those principles together. Welcome to Grounded, where women of all ages, nationalities, and backgrounds gather with me, Barbara Morgan Gardner, and my guests as we seek to build a bedrock understanding of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ and become like Him. I am so excited to have Elaine Dalton with me. Elaine, how are you, I, how are you doing, friend? I am absolutely thrilled to be with you. <laughs> I love being you. with you. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. So, Elaine, we know that President Nelson has recently reminded us all that we are children of God, children of the covenant, and disciples of Jesus Christ, which we, we love knowing that as identifiers. In addition to that, Elaine, how would you describe yourself? What is unique about you? I think I would describe myself by the role that I, I cherish the most, with two roles, the wife of Steve Dalton and He's a good the mother one. of six wonderful, precious children. Thank you, Elaine. I, I, I love that emphasis on, on mothers, whether we're married or, or single, whether we have children of our own or not, that we are mothers. And in your case, you have these beautiful six children that are yes. with you. Yes. Thank you, Elaine. Elaine, another thing that we know about you, that I know about you, is that you've been the general young women's president of the church, which brings in a whole other layer of experience that you've had. I find it fascinating in, in 2 Nephi chapter 6 especially, that Jacob has this, this desire and almost this anxiety as he's trying to teach this people. And there are few people that understand what it is to be able to speak to a general audience at this level as you have had. And I'm just wondering, Elaine, first of all, how, how, how can you relate to Jacob and this incredible talk that he's going to give us in 2 Nephi? I totally relate to Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's so sweet and cute that he actually says those words that it, it, because it's a huge responsibility. It's a, it's a sacred trust to be able to stand at that pulpit where prophets, seers, and revelators yeah have given messages that have directed our lives to, to being one of those who gets to stand there. What a, I mean, I don't even know if there's a, a word for that kind of trust or honor. But it does put a huge uh, weight yeah. of responsibility on you because you know that your main goal, my main goal, was always to point people to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to... Um, uplift and, and help help people through their challenges and, and especially at that time the young women yeah and who face a lot of challenges and so you become very very humble very very meek um, you pray more than you've ever prayed before <laughs> at least I did and I tend the temple more more often and just sit and just hope that you can get some revelation but I found that um, what the Lord does is He He uses you. You're just a you're a pencil in His hand, yeah. really. Yeah. He uses you and your unique life experiences to liken them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hard work is the spiritual work that it takes to get ready to receive the kind of revelation you need to do this. Because you don't do a talk a conference talk 
by your own knowledge. Yeah. It comes, sometimes it comes line upon line. Yeah. Sometimes it comes so fast you can hardly write it down. <laughs> but it, it does come. It does come. And the Lord, the Lord's so gracious and kind in that way. Elaine, this word anxiety is a word that is becoming so prevalent in our day, and Jacob's using it as a as a you know as a leader. And, and I'm just wondering how you talked about going to the temple and preparing line upon line. How have you been able to overcome that that nervousness? Or I mean, I don't know. It's that he's nervous here, but he's anxious for the people, right? How do you how do you handle that? Yeah, I know. I I think his kind of anxiety might be different because it was focused. Yeah. At so concern for others, whereas sometimes when we have anxiety, it's because of we're focused more on our what's causing our yeah. difficulty, and, and both are very, very valid. But um, I, I could say that I, I could use that word today for, for my, my grandchildren yeah. and, and my children uh, and for all the young women in the world and the women. If I had that stewardship again, I, I think I... I feel greater anxiety than I, than I ever have done, and yet it's it's crazy because I also feel greater optimism yeah. than I ever have done. We have the greatest opposition, maybe, and the greatest opportunity. Yeah, it's easy to kind of it's it's easy to to oh, just just kind of negate the anxiety. But I love how you said that it's real, and both of them are yeah. real, and both of them are valid. But it is real. I think as parents, as teachers, as friends, as family members, we recognize what's going on in this world. We recognize the evil. And in fact, I think that that's something that, that you have talked about a little bit with, with Elder Bednar helping you to actually be able to teach the, the youth, the young women. And what are some of those things that you have learned as far as teaching that, that have been helpful in you and being able to explain and, and help others be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Barbara, I think there are two things. And, and one, I'll just mention shortly. Elder Bednar told me that, um, you know, the, the big question is always, how do I know if I feel the Spirit? How yeah. do I know if the Holy Ghost is speaking to me? And Elder Bednar told me, he said, if you're doing what's right, you always have that Spirit with you. And he said, what you need to do is pay careful attention to when you don't feel that. Mm. Yep, that's good. And, and, and so that's one thing. And then he also taught me uh, to, to look at the gospel as far as teaching goes by teaching doctrines, principles, and then applications. I think a lot of times we go to the application first. Yeah. That's the easy part. But that has to be connected to the doctrine or the principle that we're teaching. And I am so grateful for that kind of shift in, in my mind because it helps me read the scriptures not just for the storyline or, you know, I, I mean, I read it for all of those and the messages to me, but it also helps me understand things that are eternal, things that never change. And I've gained such a, a strong testimony of the doctrine of the atonement and the doctrine of the plan of salvation. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and so I'm just really grateful. So Elaine, I <clears throat> know that you have taught the gospel, the, the, I know that you have defined with Elder Bednar doctrine before, and I want to define these with you because I do think as we continue to study the scriptures, you know, we're at the beginning of, of Nephi at this point and how helpful it is if we can make some distinctions. So is it okay if I read this, this oh, quote I, from, yes, from Elder Bednar? Yes, I think I know it's important it. for all of us, I do, because I think we get tripped up more on the policies or the practices or the applications, and we need to know 
Yeah. What never changes. Okay, so he says this. He says, a doctrine is a truth of salvation revealed by a loving Heavenly Father. And then he continues, gospel doctrines are eternal, as you just said. They do not change, and they pertain to eternal progression and exaltation of Heavenly Father's sons and daughters. And then he gives us these. And these are right here in chapter 6 through 10 of, of the Book of Mormon. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. He says, doctrines such as the nature of the Godhead, the plan of happiness, and the atonement of Jesus Christ are foundational, fundamental, and comprehensive. And then finally, the core doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ are relatively few in number. A lot of times we talk about how we want to talk about the deep doctrines of the gospel. But you can't get much deeper than, than the atonement of Jesus Christ. No, no. No, and if you had to narrow it down to just one, that's it probably. Yeah, the foundational fundamental. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then let's look at principles quickly. He says, a gospel principle is a doctrinally based guideline for the righteous exercise of moral agency. So it's not the agency, it's not the actual application itself, but it's the exercise of it, right? It's a, it's, it's a framework. Principles are subsets or components of broader gospel truths. And then principles provide direction. Correct principles are also based upon and arise from doctrines, and they do not change. I know with me, Elaine, and we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. It is so important when we talk about principles, which we're going to show some examples of this in the scriptures today, that when we talk about principles, we are, we are grounding them in the doctrine. So if we are talking, for example, a principle of, of love and law, and we see Jacob's going to be doing this, and he's going to be calling people to repentance, but he does so with so much love that you can see, and he talks about Jesus Christ and the purpose of his atonement is because he loves God's children. He talks about this all through here, but at the same time he teaches, there is a law. And mm -hmm. if you want to have eternal happiness, there is a law associated with the happiness. So he does it in a loving way and a, and a law way, both tied to the atonement of Jesus Christ. Had he just focused on the law, we, we may think that he's a heavy handed or he may think, may think that he doesn't care about his people or he may think that people are just need to be sub, submissive to him. If he just focused on the love, people may think that they can do anything they want to and God's still going to love them no matter what. Yeah. Or they can just they, they can they can sin and they can they can do all of these things that are horrible. And no matter what, everyone's going to be saved in the kingdom of God. And so Jacob has this very difficult balance, as, as you did as well, in teaching the doctrine, but also teaching the principles of that doctrine that help us to be grounded in Jesus Christ so that we can extend, so that God can extend the greatest mercy to all people. Is that right? Uh, Am I getting this right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you can think of it very simply as doctrine are, are, answers the question of why. Yeah. And the principles answer the question of what. And then the application changes, and it's the how. And so, as President Packer taught so long ago, yeah. true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. And it really does. And it, when you teach the doctrine, there's really no, no contention, there's no argument, anything. I think that's why the love exists. Yeah, I, yeah. Because it's very difficult to contend with <clears throat> or or, or argue with an eternal truth like the Godhead or the atonement of Jesus Christ. And Elaine, that's what it teaches us also in the introduction is one of the things that the, why the Book of Mormon is so important is it says it puts forth the doctrine of the gospel, outlines mm -hmm. the plan of salvation, and tells men what they must do to gain peace in this life and eternal salvation in the, in the life to come. And that's what Jacob, I mean, this these chapters by Jacob, he is doing exactly what the Book of Mormon says it's going to do. Yeah. 
just looking at this, I love that in, in chapter nine, I love chapter okay. nine for so many reasons, but in verse six, Jacob calls the plan the merciful, merciful plan of the great creator. And then he says, there must needs be a power of resurrection and the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall. So now we're going to teach. He talks about the great creator in chapter five. I mean, in verse five, then in, in verse six, he talks about the fall. And then he says, and the fall came by reason of transgression. And because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement, save it should be an infinite atonement. This corruption could not put on incorruption. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit and go to verse 8 because I love this. And to me, this is the mercy, one of the examples of the plan being so merciful. In verse 8, he says, Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God, and to remain with the father of lies and misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirreth up the children of men, unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness. And then he says, Oh, how great the goodness of our God. I know, I love, I love that he just, with an exclamation point, just keeps saying, this is a beautiful plan. And, and his just, his, the way he works with justice and mercy in this plan. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And aren't we so grateful? We are. I love that it's the merciful plan of God. Well, and it says here in verse 10 in, in this chapter 9, Oh, how great the goodness of our God who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster, is yep. what he calls it. And, you know, as a child, you're always afraid of the monsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the monster under the bed or whatever. But um, this is different, and and we, we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to deal with the weight of that because of our Savior. I, it reminds me of, uh, and this is kind of funny, I was watching a marathon once. <laughs> And I'm standing there watching these runners, and the and the course came like this, and then it curved up a hill. And there were, was just one lone runner. Sometimes you're in groups, sometimes you're just all alone. There was one lone runner. He was just running as hard as he could, but he missed the turn. Oh, wow. And I said to my husband, I wonder... I, I think I better go tell him. He just missed the turn. So I ran down, tried to catch up with him. Elaine, some of us are so slow that we missed. Everything's been put away before we have the chance to finish. So I know that's never happened to you, but some of us really have had the cones put away. But go well, ahead. And I, I couldn't catch up. So I said, you just missed the turn. And he turned around and he said a few expletives that I won't repeat here. But he immediately turned around and got back on mm -hmm. that course because he, uh, he had trained so hard. He didn't want to keep going and just say, oh, well, I just made a wrong turn. I'm going to keep going. He wanted to cross that finish line, even though he'd lost a lot of time. And I've always thought of that as repentance. Yeah. You, it's just, it's, you turn around and you just go, you go on the, you get back on the, I'll say the covenant path. Yeah, now. absolutely. Yep. And so that you can cross that finish line because we're here in training. We really are. Yeah, it wasn't Christ. And Heavenly Father didn't have the Savior in case we needed him, right? right? It was, we needed him. In fact, that's one yeah. of the things that I love the most about the fall of, of Adam and Eve. And that story is 
there, the first thing that Adam and Eve really realize that they need and that they realize that they need to rely on is the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I should say that better. The first person that they realized they needed was the Savior. That they, they made a choice. They used their agency. And because of their agency, the plan was set by the Father in the pre-mortal world that Jesus Christ would save them. And, and if we can see, as President Nelson talks so often about repentance, if we can truly see that it's a blessing to repent, that it's joyous to repent. In that moment with me in that bishop's office, oh, I yeah. went in completely humiliated. To be honest, to tell anybody that I had done something wrong was humiliating. But the feeling, and, and we've all experienced this, but the feeling that I left was light and joy and grateful. And if we could just always remember that in our in our own lives, especially as we're working with youth and young adults, it's it's a blessing. It's the merciful plan of God. It's, you know, it's, it's John chapter three, verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we, we put this one that whosoever should, that, sorry, believeth in him. Yeah. Thank you. Not should perish. not perish, but have everlasting life. But then it's the next verse that I love the most for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. That's the Father's plan. It's the salvation and the exaltation of his children, only possible through Jesus Christ. He sent his son so that we could be saved. Christ came so we could be saved. That's so, so true. And, and, you know, and Alma teaches us he bore all things. I mean, he bore our weaknesses, our infirmities, our sicknesses. He bore everything for us. And I'm just so grateful for the atonement of Jesus Christ because um, it makes... It makes eternal life possible, doesn't it? It makes it possible for us to return to their presence proven, pure, and sealed. So, Elaine, it, I, I want to I bring us back to this plan. And Jesus Christ is obviously the center of this plan of salvation. But it's also a plan about—it's it's our plan. It's the plan that he has created for us. And as we talk about this merciful plan in verse 6, then in verse 9, I think, where he says, Oh, how great the plan of our God. Again, an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. But in between these two verses, he talks about that great monster that you brought up. And the great monster, he says, of death and hell. And then he says, which I call, this is verse 10, which I call the death of the body and also the death of the spirit. Now, I'm wondering, as he's talking about this merciful plan, Elaine, he talks about the dead, and he talks about the death and, and, and the grave, and he's talking about this physical death. I'm wondering if you've had an experience in your life where you have recognized God's merciful plan as a result of losing someone you loved. I, I Actually, yes, and I think probably everybody can relate to this, the, the sorrow that you feel, and, this, and just uh, it, it almost feels like a hopeless situation. And we always say, I'm so grateful I know what I know because of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I was a teenager, my father passed away very suddenly. Oh. And it just did not make sense to me. And I had such a difficult time with that. Um, we needed him. My mom was just in her 40s, and we needed a dad. Yeah. And I remember just wrestling almost with the Lord in prayer to 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 find out why, why he took my father. But in the years that have followed, I have felt him, and I have come to know, line upon line, that that was part of the plan. Yeah. 
but also that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this may seem trite, but it's true and it's real, we have eternity. And I know this, my father was a very good man. And when he died, he was prepared to die. We weren't prepared to lose him. But I think it draw us as a family closer to our Savior. I remember my mom would, would kneel on this little rug, a little oval rug, every morning and every night. And sometimes we'd say, oh, Mom, we don't need to pray this morning. We've got to get to school. And she'd say, we can't afford not to. We need the Lord in our lives to guide us. And I felt that guidance. This is, it is a merciful plan. And unfortunately, we do have to separate. But I'm sure when we came to earth, we cried when people yeah. cried in heaven when we came because we had to separate then too. And as President Nelson says, this is just a nanosecond. And I keep, that gives me great hope. Just a nanosecond. Yeah. Amen. Just that little Elder Maxwell, the little, you know, the little commas or those. Yeah. You know, even even in my you know late forties at this point, death death is right there. And I you know I've lost my parents. I've lost many that I that I love over the years, and it is a merciful plan. I do not know how I could handle, as it says in verse eight and nine, the idea that anyone anyone would lose hope, and that they would become like like the devil, little angels, and the, and and live in misery like unto himself. And the only way that we have hope is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. But that's a principle. So we talked about uh, the doctrine. That's a principle of the gospel. It is. That we have hope through Jesus Christ. And if we did not have Jesus Christ, a principle is we would literally become little devils with no hope. That's not good. That's not just good. not good. Nope. And I think the reason we have hope is because he allows us to make covenants with him. And I think those covenants connect us with him. And in that way, I, I feel that we're never alone, that yeah. we, we have him yoked with us as we march through this life. And I am grateful for covenants. And in this, this chapter 9, um, Jacob talks about covenants. I have, he says right at the very first, And now, my beloved brethren, I have read these things that ye might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all of the house of Israel, not just with one or yeah. the special ones, but with every one of us. Amen. This And that power of covenant, the covenant path, and everything associated with that, President Nelson has spoken so much of lately. He has. And then he says, and because of this, he just says in verse 3, down just a little bit, rejoice and lift up your heads forever because of the blessings which the Lord God bestows upon your children. Yeah. So this doesn't just come to us, but it can come to our children. So this is a generational uh, effect of, of, of the plan. Again, we've said this so many times, but this is a book about family, right? It and, is. And yeah. that's the joy is that you're talking about losing your father and, and the joy that you will have in being with him again. I mean, I'm sure as your mother passed away, Yes, my mother passed away. She passed away when I was a general young woman president. Really? And I remember having, uh, just before they closed the casket, placing a personal progress medallion around my mother's neck. Oh, my goodness, Elaine. And if ever there was someone who earned that medallion, it was my mother. She was a covenant keeper. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, the, the, the fruit doesn't doesn't fall far from the tree, right, Elaine? Thank I you. mean, in reality. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's that's a very tender moment. Yeah, you know? it was a very tender moment. Yeah. 
I think of, you know, that, that casket when, when we make and keep covenants, especially the temple covenants and the clothing of a person as they are, as they are being buried is so symbolic of what their future holds as gods and goddesses and queens and priestesses. And what a beautiful symbol of that with the necklace too for your yeah. mother. I mean, yeah. oh, so tender. Yeah. Not not to get too negative on us, but I'm gonna I'm gonna compare this to verse 28, and this is this is a this is a mean scripture. <laughs> oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! We're not gonna give him too much time, but I want to just I want to see that Jacob is making this very obvious this ju just paradox between Jesus Christ and Satan. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. And I'm going to add women, even though I hate adding that there. I am, because we <laughs> could be this way. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. And then he says, but to be learned is good, if they hearken unto the counsels of God. But the reality of, and I think it's so important that we know that we have God the Father, we do have Jesus Christ, but we also have Satan, and his plan is cunning, and his plan is really to fool us and to bring us down to this everlasting pit, right? But the reality that we know. I know, and, and I, think, uh, I think if we don't uh, utilize or understand the power of the infinite atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ, we can think intellectually that we can solve all our problems. Yeah. Yes. I can take care of this. I can take care of this. I have learned that I can't take care of much, that it's all, I'm not in charge. It's all in the Lord's hand. Amen. And, and, and Elaine, maybe that brings us to what we need to go to is the atonement of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about this great plan of God. We've talked a little bit about about Satan to remind us that we do need to be humble and that we need to recognize education is a big part of, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Nelson says that education is a religious responsibility. Mm -hmm. But in that education, how critical it is that we recognize that ed to be learned is good if we hearken to the counsels of God. It could, education and pride go hand in hand often, but they mm -hmm. don't have to. Correct. President Nelson has a PhD MD, and he is a humble man who relies upon the atonement of Jesus Christ in his life. But I'd like to take us back to right where you just talked about, which is back to verse 7 of chapter 9. We're focusing on chapter 9. There's so much in this. But in chapter 7, I mean, in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. So let's go now to the next doctrine, which is the doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And as we remember, President Nelson teaches us not to separate the atonement from Jesus Christ. Correct. The atonement has no power in and of itself. No. The power comes through Christ. I right? love when he gave that talk. It was so important. President Oaks gave a talk recently, and he talked about the importance of, of Jesus Christ. And then he said he spoke with this woman, and she said, well, what has Jesus Christ ever done for me? And oh. I, I can't imagine President, President Oaks' response. Like, like how, what did his face look like when that woman asked, well, what has he ever done for me? But I want to ask that question sincerely to you. What has Christ done for you, Elaine? For me, I've taken advantage of all the power that that atonement of, of our Savior creates, and that I, the redeeming power. Yeah. I repent often and quickly. I try not to let things add up. But I've also... I also absolutely can testify of the reality of the ennobling, enabling power 
of the Savior's Atonement. In what way, Elaine? Because when I was in my calling, I was confronted with situations that I didn't know what to do. I was confronted with physical challenges that I was just exhausted, and I could feel when I prayed to our Father in Heaven, I could feel that enabling power descend upon me. I was directed. I was made bigger than I really am as yeah. a person. I was, uh, I was magnified. Um, uh, and all the spiritual gifts that a person could want or have kind of would show up to bless whomever needed it. And so I think that's the only power that that got me through. Really, I relied on that so heavily. And I just witness and testify that it is real. And it is a power. And I am just so humbly grateful for what our Savior did. Every once in a while, it's kind of been incomprehensible to me. Yeah. But every once in a while of late, I get a little glimpse. And it just... It's so huge. I can't. I don't have words to describe, but I am so so grateful. I felt that in in my calling, but I've also felt that as a mother, I really have. And um, how Elaine? I mean, you said you had six children, and you know, what's amazing to me is that you are this woman who has. I mean, you served as the general young women's president of the church, but you're you are a mother. You have six children. I mean, that's. There's so much weighing on your shoulders. I mean, this 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 reality. So how have you done that as a mother? And six children are never raised. I don't know. It's never <laughs> over until it's over. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, again, I, I think that the enabling power of the atonement helps us do a lot. I mean, it's, it, it changes you. It's life-changing once you understand the power that that has. Uh, absolutely. Elaine, there's a, there's a great scripture... And if I can find it really quick, it says, oh, this is verse 41. And okay. this, this is, it's interesting as, as a parent, I guess, but especially Christ here, this important principle, and it's, do, it's a doctrine principle. He says, oh, then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. I mean, I'm sure you felt this with your children so many times. Just, you did it as the woman, but children, come. And then, and then continuing, remember that his paths are righteous, Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate, and I love this image, the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. And I love, you know, I read this before, depending on where I am in my life, I read this and thought, well, he's the keeper of the, you're not going to put anything by him, right? I mean, he right. has eyes on the front and on the back. And I mean, he's, he knows everything about all of us. He's the keeper of the gate. No one, no one's going to be able to pass the gate without going through Christ. But then I love this quote by Elder Maxwell. He says, meanwhile, may God help us to receive more effectively all newcomers and returnees to Zion, even as God has so mercifully received us into this church. There will be no more regal reception at the gate, where Jesus is the sole gatekeeper. He awaits us there, not only to certify us, and then this is the part I love, but because his divine love brings him to welcome us. Hence, he employeth no servant there. And then he says to us, may we be ready to be so received as he leads us with his kindly joy. Oh, that's beautiful. He, he wants to be at the gate. He 
he, he, yes, he is the judge, but he is the merciful savior of the world. He wants us to come unto him. He wants us to be able to, to, to feel of his love. He gave his whole life. He wants to be the, I want to be at the gate for those I love. I want to be at the gate for my children. I wanted to be, I want you to be at the gate with me. Whoever goes first, Elaine, I want to be there. (laughs) I want to hug them. And I believe that that is what Jesus Christ is doing. Yes. He's the one at the gate. He loves us so much. He wants to greet us at the gate. I, I just, I love that idea of the savior of the world and his arms embracing and reaching out to us and being the one who is there at the gate for me. I totally agree. And, and, and when, when our children were young, we would hike with them a lot. Yeah. We'd hike sometimes for family home evening. And to liken that path to the, the narrow path, it gets narrow. But if you stay on it, there are no shortcuts. You'll arrive at that destination. And just the joy yeah. that you feel when you get to the top of a mountain. I, I can't even imagine the joy you would feel when the Savior was there. And it reminds me of a trip I took to Brazil, where we, we hiked through the jungle with the young women. Wow. And, uh, and we were going to put a flag on the top of the mountain for a return to virtue, a gold flag. Yeah. At, but when we got to the top of the mountain, the men had made a huge poster, probably 20 feet high, climbed a big palm tree and put it down. And when we turned the corner there, was oh. the poster, the picture, the painting of our Savior. Wow. And wow. I think that was a moment I will never forget, and I know every young woman that was on that hike will never forget as well. So powerful. Yeah. You know, the, the Savior, the prophet has asked us to keep our eyes riveted on mm. the Savior. I like right? the word riveted. Yeah, yeah, riveted. And I think of so many times in the scriptures where people have just, you know, the women with an issue of blood, how she just reaches out. And, and, and President Nelson says, you know, when you want to be saved so much, like the women reaching out for that issue, the issue of blood, or if you were like the, the drowning. drowning person, yeah. yes, grasping and gasping for air. You don't, we don't realize how badly we need the, the Savior until we need him. And, and I yeah. think that's one of the things that Elder Renland teaches is the closer we are to the Savior, the more we understand the Savior, the more desperate we recognize we are for him. It, it, sometimes I think it, we may think it's the opposite, but I know in my life, it's not, it's not the more wicked I become. It's not the more, more angry I become. It's not the more bad things I do that I recognize the Savior. Frankly, for me, it's almost, the, it's, it's, it's almost the dichotomy. It's, it's the paradox here of the more I know of the Savior, the more I read the living Christ, the more I read the scriptures, and we've been asked to focus on Jesus Christ in the scriptures, the more I have come to know Jesus Christ, the more I have relied on him, the more dependent upon him I am, the more I've ex- exercised and gone through this path of life. And I know you're the same way, Elaine. Boy, I need him to help me repent. Oh. I need him to for the resurrection. I need him so that I can see my family again. I need him so I can better love my children, so I can better love other people. I need him so I can extend mercy and so I can be at the gate for other people. I need to know his life. I need to know his teachings. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for the Savior. Desperate. You have great anxiety. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. real anxiety of a prophet. We yeah. see we see the reality of what he is and how desperately we need it. And speaking of hymns, I need thee every hour. Yeah. Every hour I need thee. I that's how I feel. Every hour. There's I mean, I'm nothing if yeah. I don't have him. 
So Elaine, I don't know if you remember the story and I'm, I'm not gonna tell all of it because there's so much of the story, but it's a story of these two brothers who are, who are climbing this mountain. And Elder Holland talks about the love that they have for each other, but they got stranded. And one was trying, the older brother was trying to help the younger brother get up. But after he got him up onto the ledge, he was then stuck and couldn't get up there oh. himself. And he knows he needs to jump it's his last chance, but in so doing, he knows he's risking his life to do it. Oh. And he says this, and I think this ties so well into what you were talking about, the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. He says, panic started to sweep over him and he began to fear for his life, referring to the older brother. And then he says, unable to hold on much longer, John decided his only option was to try to jump vertically in an effort to grab the top of the overhanging ledge. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. <laughs> if successful, he might, by his considerable arm strength, pull himself to safety. And then he says this. This is the words of the brothers. This is a true story from the brother. He says, prior to my jump, I told Jimmy, that's the younger brother, to go search for a tree branch strong enough to extend down to me. Although I knew there was nothing of the kind on this rocky summit, it was only a desperate ruse. If my jump failed, the least I could do was make certain my little brother did not see me falling to my death. Then this. Giving him enough time to be out of sight, I said my last prayer. That I wanted my family to know that I loved them and that Jimmy could make it home safely on his own. And then I leapt. There was enough adrenaline in my spring that the jump extended my arms above the ledge almost to my elbows. But as I slapped my hands down on the surface, I felt nothing but loose sand on flat stone. I can still remember the gritty sensation of hanging there with nothing to hold onto. No lip, no ridge, nothing to grab or grasp. I felt my fingers begin to recede slowly over the sandy surface. I knew my life was over. But then, suddenly, like a lightning strike in a summer storm, two hands shot out from somewhere above the edge of the cliff, grabbing my wrist with a strength and determination that you're going to have to read that for me. That I'm right here. I'm crying too. Okay. I okay. Okay. Give it. me a second. That bellied <laughs> their size. My faithful little brother had not gone looking for any fictitious tree branch, guessing exactly what I was planning to do. He had never moved an inch. He had simply waited silently, almost breathlessly, knowing full well, I would be foolish enough to try to make that jump. Oh. When I did, he grabbed me, held me, refused to let me fall. Those strong brotherly arms saved my life that day as I dangled helplessly above that which would surely have been certain death. So, we talked about the plan of salvation. We talked about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I want to bring in the Godhead just briefly on this. This is the atonement of Jesus Christ, but it's also the Father. It's his love. He sent his beloved son. He's patiently yeah. waiting for us. He's grasping for us. He's quietly, patiently waiting for our prayers. He's waiting for us to reach out to him. The Father and the Son have the same purpose, the same mission. But it's, it's the Father who is there watching His Son in Gethsemane. Oh. It's the Father who's there waiting for us to turn to the Savior. He's seeing this big picture. And I, I love that in chapter 10. 
he says, referring to the Godhead, referring to God, he says, nevertheless, God will be merciful unto many and our children shall be restored that they may come to that which will give them true knowledge of their Redeemer. So many of us in this day worry for our children and our families. And I love that, that in this case, the brother just waits. Oh. And I believe the father waits and Jesus Christ waits. And he grabbed him knowing perhaps that they both would fall. Yeah. They would both go. Yep. That's, that's love. That is charity. That is real love. That's the Savior's love. It Aren't is. we blessed? We are so blessed. Elaine, did you have a <sighs> quote? I believe that you, you had something from Elder Karen that fits very well here regarding how much we depend upon Jesus Christ and how desperate we are for him and, frankly, for the Father as well. Well, we do depend on him. And Elder Kieran gave a talk that I think changed a lot of lives when they heard it because I think a lot of women especially become hopeless if something horrible has happened to them, as such as abuse. And he gave his talk and ended with this paragraph that I think is so beautiful. Jesus specializes in the seemingly impossible. I love that. Yep. He came here to make the impossible possible, the irredeemable redeemable, to heal the unhealable, to write the unwritable, to promise the unpromisable. And he's really good at it. I think that's precious. Thank you, Elder Kieran. Thank you, Elder Kieran. And, and thank you to Jacob and especially to the Savior. But these, these chapters, as we talk about hope and we talk about the plan of salvation, this merciful plan, oh, the great God, oh, oh, the great plan, oh, this merciful plan. You see Jacob just, oh, 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 and he's oh. just so, he's so emotional. And how beautiful it is to say that no matter where we are, that God can do the impossible. That's what the atonement of Jesus Christ is. It's overcoming the impossible it's true. for all of us. It's Death, true. hell, sin. It's all Jesus Christ and this great plan of the Father. And our job now is to reach out to the Savior and also at times to be the one grasping for other people as they jump. So Elaine, thank you as always for your ability to, to study and know the doctrine of Jesus Christ as found today in, in these scriptures in 2 Nephi 6 through 10. Thank you for living in such a way that we can follow your example and for being the person like Jacob was, who with this anxiety, knowing of your love for, for all of these young women, especially, but for the people that you know, and also as a mother, thank you for being such a great example and for being, as you know, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Barbara, very much. It's very humbling, and I am trying, trying, and I still have great anxiety for the young women. Um, I see things that are happening, and I want to just run over to total strangers and say, come with me. And you I do. I have seen them. you. I've, I've seen you hug. <laughs> I want to grab Many, yeah. yeah. But Jesus is the answer to all of this, and I find it phenomenal that Jacob should, could, could teach such pure doctrine. And the people had the privilege of hearing those words when none of this had even happened yet. It's a good point. That's, that is huge faith. But Jacob had seen the Lord. His brother, Nephi, had seen the Lord. And Isaiah, Isaiah had seen the Lord. And that's the three witnesses in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So they knew of a surety. They were special witnesses of Jesus Christ. I hope 
that we can all have that as our goal, to know Him and to walk with Him and to continually testify and witness of Him and His Father and the great infinite atonement and the plan of salvation. Elaine, thank you. I, I typically like to add, end with a therefore what, but I think that was the therefore what. Is that right? I mean, you, you nailed it, that we can walk with, with Him. Daily, hourly, we need Him. We do. I do. I, I do, too. Elaine, thank you so much. Thank what a, you. What a great discussion today. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us today on Grounded. What a privilege it has been to be with Elaine and you as we have discussed the doctrines and principles as found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to continue to join with us next week. And we also strongly invite you to think of these doctrines and principles in your own life and apply them in such a way that will help you draw closer to him through his atonement. We'll see you next week.